Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, good morning, C4. Great to see you here. Um, how many have been enjoying the Olympics? Isn't it great? I'm, I'm a little hooked myself. I just, uh, I can't quite, you know, walk away. Got to know who won and I'm following our team and cheering them on. And I'm sure those in North Durham, those listening online, we're all together on this Olympic journey. You know, as I watch the Olympics, thinking, man, like, how do these people do what they do? You know, like, it's pretty crazy. And then you hear the stories of so many stories of overcoming, don't you? Like many of these athletes that have just overcome so many odds and, and, and gone through injury. And I always feel for the ones who, you know, like the girl who crashed into the hurdles, you know what I mean? And the one who falls off the track, like right in their moment. And, and the reason I feel that way is because when I was a young girl trying to get my Olympic dream, I was the one crashing into the hurdles, just want to say. Oh yeah, I remember over at the Civic Auditorium, I was all ready to go and I was going to win this hurdle race. And anyway, long story short, didn't quite make it. I did make it past the finish line, but I took out a few hurdles and a few runners in the way. Anyway, that's why I'm not in the Olympics, but um, some of you may actually have potential in that area. You know, when I look at these Olympians, I'm inspired because they're persistent. Like, they do not quit, do they? There is no quitters in the Olympic, on the Olympic team. There is no room for quitting. They are overcomers in so many ways, and today we're going to talk about not quitting. We're going to talk about being persistent, and we're going to talk about being persistent in prayer. Now, if you know me at all, and you know some of my story and a little bit about who I am, you know that I love to talk about prayer. Prayer is very important to me, and prayer has been not only a struggle in my life, but a way that God has truly changed me. So some of the things that I share with you, I've shared before when we were talking, going through that Sermon on the Mount series. But like you and me, we all need reminders, right? So let me ask you this. Do you pray? Yeah, do you? Okay, good, good. That is a good answer. Some of you did not say yes wholeheartedly, or maybe you didn't respond at all. Here's the thing. If you pray, are you persistent in prayer? Are you persistent in prayer? You know, are you like the marathon runner? <laughs> you can just go and go and go. Or are you a little like the sprinter, you know, the 100-yard dash? Let's just get her out and get her done and on we go. Neither one is wrong, but I would suggest to you that today as we talk about and go into the stories as Jesus illustrates to us, he is going to remind us that we need to be persistent in prayer. We all actually need to become like the marathon runner. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke. Luke is in the, one of the Gospels. If you're not familiar with your Bible, maybe you haven't opened it up for a while, I'm going to encourage you to open your Bible, whether it's on uh, your phone or a hard copy. For those of us online, uh, you can't see the scriptures on the screen, so you need to get a Bible in front of you. But we are going to walk through Luke chapter 11. And in Luke chapter 11, we're really just going to go through this story of Jesus teaching his disciples. And it starts out in verse 1. It says this, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. Now, actually, this would be a common thing. In fact, when we look at Jesus' life, 
One of the most repeated patterns of what Jesus did beyond performing miracles, beyond giving sermons and teaching lessons, was his habit of prayer. You can hardly read a story about Jesus that it's not like, and he escaped to pray, and he went across the river to pray, and he pulled away from the disciples to pray. We hear this pattern all the time. This is the normal of Jesus' life. Well, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. You know what I find comforting in this? These disciples, these guys that hung out with Jesus, watch Jesus do this thing called prayer regularly. And they go to him and they ask him, Lord, teach us to do what you do. Here's the good news about prayer. It's not just for the super spiritual you can learn to pray. Have you thought about that? You can learn to pray. In fact, I would say all of us have to learn how to pray. When we become a follower of Christ, it doesn't just, we accept Jesus in our life and now we become these great prayer people and it just pours out of our mouth and we know instantly how to pray. I mean, is that the truth for anybody? Don't we just need to learn how to pray? You know, one thing I've been thinking about lately has been having conversations with people is that if you want to grow spiritually in any area of your life, and when I say grow spiritually, this is what I mean. You want to grow in your relationship with God. You want to get closer to God. You want to have greater confidence in who he is and what he can do. You want to have access to God. You want to have that relationship where you can talk to him. You want to love the word of God. You want to be able to pray in a way that changes your life and changes other people's life. Spiritual growth doesn't just happen. Anybody? Right? It doesn't just happen. You don't say, well, I've now accepted Christ, so therefore I'm just going to every day, uh, you know, I'll just get more deeply connected with God. It doesn't work that way. Now, think about this. Before you think, well, that's, you know, kind of strange. Well, really, it isn't. I mean, physically. If you want to get into better physical condition, does it require intentionality? Yeah? Anybody? Right. How many of you are working on that right now? Yeah, right. Okay. Are you being intentional about getting healthy physically? Do you have to make choices? Do you have to discipline yourself? Do you have to watch what you put in your mouth? Right? And how much of it you put in your mouth? Right? What if you want to grow intellectually? For those college students and university students, hopefully one of their goals is to grow intellectually this year. What do you have to do? You got to read and study, right? You got to do the work. You got to show up to class and do the homework. You got to be intentional. Why do we think in our Christian life that we can just grow spiritually, it just, it just happens to us. You know, like, I've been following Jesus for 30, 40, 50 years, so I am more mature? Well, actually, not necessarily. I have seen people come to Jesus, and within weeks and months, they are so mature in their Christian faith because they are intentional. And so today, I am telling you that prayer in your life is not something that just happens to you. You're not going to wake up one day and go, I'm just the strongest prayer warrior there ever was. You have to be intentional, and you choose, and here's a good thing, you can learn. And Jesus is about to teach us. 
You're ready to learn a few things today because these are the very words that he said to his disciples when they asked him to teach them how to pray. Verse 2, so he said to them, when you pray, say this. Now, will you say this with me? Let's read it together. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Now, what is that? The Lord's Prayer, right? We call it the Lord's Prayer. It should have been called the Disciples' Prayer because it was the prayer for the disciples. But that is a shorter version in Luke. We usually quote the longer version in Matthew. This is a pattern and a model that Jesus said, pray like this. I'm not going to unpack the whole Lord's Prayer today because I'm going to go to the next part of what Jesus says. But just pause for a minute and look at the Lord's Prayer. In summary, we're saying we have a Father. The Lord's Prayer, first and foremost, reminds us that we have a God that is approachable. We have a God that is gracious and generous. Look what he gives us. He gives us what we need for every day, whether it's bread or strength or insight. He meets our daily needs. He forgives us our sins. He gives us spiritual protection. Don't we have a generous and gracious God? And he's ready to hear our requests. But there's one part of that prayer that isn't God's job. What is the one part of that prayer that is your and my responsibility? To forgive others. Wow, isn't that interesting? Jesus says, this is how you pray. Acknowledge who I am and all the things. Ask me for whatever you need. Ask me, approach me, I will give generously. Oh, but I'll forgive you. Your sin, you need to forgive others. In Restoration Prayer, which is a ministry at our church, we take people through a journey of closing doors to where the enemy has gained access to them, whether in their mind, body, emotions, or their will. And one really critical and huge area that we notice consistently when we pray through people's lives is the lack of forgiveness. This, and I don't know if any of us can really say that we are, can forgive easily, but I can just say to you, look at the Lord's Prayer, look at all he does for you, and he asks you to forgive others. There is something very powerful to that. In order to even pray and have effective prayers, you must ask the Lord to help you forgive other people. Otherwise, you will not have spiritual freedom in your life. You won't even have the freedom to pray. You will be so in bondage and bogged down by that unforgiveness. That's a critical piece to knowing how to pray. But let's go into what Jesus says as he illustrates to these disciples. But let me ask you this question. Would you pray differently if you didn't just hope he wanted to hear from you, but that he loves to hear from you and he will answer you? Would you pray differently if you didn't just hope he was listening, but you actually know he's listening, he loves to hear from you, and he's, he will answer you? Well, you know the drill by now. Whenever we look at a parable, we look at three things. Who are you in the story? What's the point of that parable? 
and there's always a twist somewhere. Well, Jesus goes on to say this to his disciples. Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So who are you in this story? Well, Jesus actually tells you who you are. It says, suppose you had a friend. You are the one asking. You are the one that someone's come to visit you and you have nothing in your cupboard. And you are running to your friend's house or to your neighbor's house to ask for bread. He puts us in the position of the asker. Now, before you think the friend was pretty mean, I mean, what's the big deal? Why can't the friend just come and ask for help when he's got company he needs to feed? You know what I mean? Like, why is his friend so ticked off? Well, we have to understand a little bit about the culture. You see, in ancient times, I mean, there was no 7-Eleven. There was no 24-hour grocery store. I mean, food was not readily... You couldn't just run out and buy food at any time of day like we do in our culture, right? There was actually no freezers or refrigerators. You couldn't stock up your food like we do, have our backup meal just in case someone shows up, you know? At least I've heard that you're supposed to do that. You know, like, we... There was no ability to stock up and store. Here's the other thing about uh, ancient culture. Hospitality was a huge value. In fact, if somebody came to visit, you were expected to take them in your home. You see, there wasn't a hotel on every corner. In our culture, people almost, and we almost think people prefer a hotel because they want their own space. Not in this culture. They would have had an inn in town, but it certainly was not the expectation. Most people would consider it a great privilege and a high honor to open their home and show hospitality. It was expected. So we have two dilemmas, really, in this story. We have a late evening guest that arrives and the host has no food for, and it's expected. And we have, in ancient homes, usually they were only one room. You see, the whole family would have gathered and ate and even slept in one room. So what happens when it's midnight and you've put the kids to bed? Someone comes banging on your door. How many of you do not appreciate when people wake up your children? You know what I'm saying? Right? The reality is, you think, well, why is this guy so annoyed? Well, the reality is it's probably waking up the whole family in order to give his friend some bread. Jesus' question is more like this. So who of you has the nerve to go wake up your friend in the middle of the night possibly wake up their whole family and ask them for something that, by the way, they might not even have. Like, it's actually pretty nervy of this person to go and pound on the door, and the friend might say, like, I don't even have any bread, right? And by the way, you've woken up my children. Um, You know what? The friend's response then is actually more understandable, isn't it? What are you doing? Making a ruckus outside. Like, stop bugging me and my family. Jesus, I think, has such a sense of humor in setting up this story to them. And here's the twist. How often do we sometimes even read this story 
or look at God and think he is like the friend. I mean, is that the point of the story? God is the friend. If you go and knock on his door and ask for what you need, he's actually going to be ticked off. He's going to be bothered that somehow he's going to be annoyed that you came to him. Here's the thing. God is not at all like the friend. That's actually the twist and the point of this parable. He is not like the friend. You see, God is not grumpy. Do I need to say that again? We don't have a grumpy God. We have a happy God. God is not easily annoyed or ticked off. In fact, he isn't bothered when we come to him, even if it's in the middle of the night and we're desperate for bread. God is not like the friend. Now, just pause and think. How many of you, if you're really honest, think God's grumpy? Like you're kind of afraid of him. Like maybe you wouldn't go and knock on his door in the middle of the night because you're afraid that it might tick him off. How many of you think that's who God is? Well, I can tell you with full confidence that that is not who our God is. Our God is a God who says, you come and bang on my door anytime. The door, in fact, is open to you. You walk right in. You don't even have to ask permission. I will give you bread, and actually I'll probably multiply the bread. I'll give you more than what you've actually asked for. He wants us to walk right in with boldness. He doesn't want us to worry about waking up the kids. In fact, maybe he would like it if we would wake up some of the kids in the family. You know what? I thought about this, and I thought, what has hindered me in my prayer life for years? Now, I don't know about you. I have a good dad. I was raised in a really good home, and I'm so thankful for much of my upbringing. But you see, in our family, we kind of had this mantra, and it went something like this. God helps those, oh, who helps themselves. You mean that was in your family too? Oh, interesting. God helps those who help themselves. So we kind of played it out like this. You see, if I needed something from my dad, and, and actually, in some ways, you could think this is a good principle. If I needed money or, you know, help with something, I could come to my dad, but I knew when I came to my dad, I better have some really valid reasons why I was coming to ask for it. And, by the way, I had to prove to my dad, what have I done first in order to solve the problem before coming to him for his help? Now, that's not such a bad parental thing, is it? However, here's how it has affected me in my life. And again, I love my dad. It's, it's all good with my dad. Here's the thing. I realized in my life that I have this spirit of independence. I don't know if anybody of you has that problem. But it goes like this. I don't want to really bother God I don't want to annoy him or I don't want to disrupt him. In fact, I think that I need to do everything that I should do first before coming to him. In fact, it gets so extreme that in much of my life, I think I tried to prove to God that, look, God, I'm, I'm taking care of the problem. Look at all I'm doing for you, God. I, I, I mean, I've done all this myself, God. Like, isn't that good? Now, now, God, when I come to you, would you just, would you just help me with a few little things? Is, 
isn't that just so contrary to how God, who God is and how he wants us to come to him? You see, our culture says independence equals maturity, right? The more independent you are, the more mature you are. In the kingdom of God, God's ways are upside down to the world's ways. Have you noticed that? In the kingdom of God, this is what equals maturity, dependence dependence on God and actually on other people. It is completely upside down to God helps those who help themselves. You see, God helps those who ask for his help. It is completely upside down. Maybe for some of you, this has been a hindrance in your life. You are Mr. or Mrs. Independence. You just get every, you have everything under control, and then you go to God. And that is so contrary. Jesus says, you come barging through the front door. You bring everything to me that you need. You come anytime. I'm not the grumpy friend. I'm never going to be annoyed or bothered by you. You will never inconvenience me. Jesus says, you come on in. Bring it all. Bring everything, anything you ask for, I will hear. Look what it says in verse 9. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. God is so different from the friend. Are you hearing me on this? You see, he begs us to come to him with shameless audacity. We heard this before in the Sermon on the Mount when it says, you know, um, ask, seek, and knock. The verb tense there is actually keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, never stop, persistence, persistence in prayer. Keep on, just like those Olympic athletes, just like those marathon runners. We have to stop being so Canadian in the way we pray. You know what I'm saying? We are so Canadian, politically correct, polite. We don't want to interrupt anyone. God says, get over it. Get in here, run through my door, and ask for what you need. Does this sound like a politically correct way to approach God? Yes, 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 that is the answer. Jesus says, come. So let me ask you that question. Would you pray differently if you didn't just hope he wanted to hear from you, but that you knew that he loves you and that he will answer you? Well, Jesus tells another parable. I'm going to give you two parables for the price of one today. The next parable is in Luke chapter 18. So just turn over to a few passages and we're going to go to Luke 18, and it says right away at the beginning why Jesus told, this is the point of this story. It says, Jesus told them a story showing that it was necessary for them to pray consistently and never quit. Say that line with me. Pray consistently and never quit. Have you got the point of the story already? Okay, here's the story. There once was a judge in some city who never gave God a thought and cared nothing for people. A widow in that city kept after him. My rights are being violated. Protect me. 
He never gave her the time of day, but after this went on, after this went on and on, he said to himself, I care nothing what God thinks, even less what people think. But because this widow won't quit badgering me, I better do something and see that she gets justice. Otherwise, I'm going to end up being beaten black and blue with the pounding. Now, that's not literal. That's figuratively. That's the message version, a colorful way of saying, I'm, it just gonna, it's going to kill me if she keeps up with this. Then the master Jesus said, do you hear what that judge corrupt as he is, is saying? So what makes you think God won't step in and work justice for his chosen people who continue to cry out for help? Won't he stick up for them? I assure you he will. He will not drag his feet. But how much of that kind of persistent faith will the Son of Man find on the earth when he returns? Okay, we got the point of the story, right? Be consistent. Don't give up. Here's the twist. You already know what it is. God is not like that worthless, corrupt judge, right? He's like, I am not like him. I'm not like the guy in the story, the judge who doesn't care for people or even care for God. Here's the kicker. God loves persistent faith, and he loves, he loves to hear and answer our prayers. You see, your view of God will totally affect your ability to grow spiritually and your ability to grow in this area of prayer. So who are you in the story? Well, Jesus is saying, please be the widow. Please be the widow. Please be the widow who comes and persistently keeps asking, keeps seeking, keeps on knocking. He refers to her faith as being persistent faith. He refers to her faith as the no-quitting faith, the unapologetic faith, the faith that says, I'm going to storm the gates of heaven on this one, God, the faith that is believing, that is not giving up. Luke, let's go back to chapter 11 and verse 10. It says, for everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. What happens when you ask? You say it. You receive. When you ask, you... Do you believe that? When you ask, you... You receive. When you seek, you find. When you knock, what happens? The door is open. Everyone, men, women, boys, girls, children, youth, rich or poor, everyone. This isn't just for some. What is persistent faith? Do you want to be like the widow? Do you want to know how to become that kind of praying person? Well, look in James chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. It says, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Wow. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Now, is this verse saying if you have any doubts, you come to God and you have any doubts, well, you're, you're toast. That's it. You're not getting anything. Is that verse saying if you have the greatest faith of any person ever alive, you will get absolutely everything that you ask? 
What is this verse talking about? Is this like a name it and claim it? Is this like I speak a word of faith and it comes to being? Well, Pastor John and myself have addressed this a few times, and, and we have said this. Please listen. We do not put faith in faith itself. You do not put faith in faith itself. The key phrase in these verses is double-minded. It means it can be translated actually double-souled, which is a divided heart. Friendship with with God on the one hand and friendship with the world on the other hand. We don't know who we really want to serve. We don't know what we really want. We, we want what God wants, but actually we want what we want. We want to be in line with God's will, but actually we just want to go our own way. This is what it means to be double-minded. It's like a fence-sitter, and a fence-sitter cannot be committed in prayer to partnering with God. You see, prayer and having faith is putting faith in who God is, not having faith in faith itself that we decide that we're going to put faith... Our faith would always be weak, wouldn't it? We would actually always struggle with doubt. If it wasn't for the fact that our God is faithful, that he is able, that's what we trust in, not in our ability to have enough faith. Because actually none of us would ever measure up. But we can put persistent faith in the one who is faithful. And when we become partners with God, it takes away our independent spirit. That independent spirit that I so struggle with, and maybe you do too, that I just like, okay, God, I I got this under control, but okay, just help me with a little bit. Like, he wants fully to be involved with us. He wants to partner with us. So how do we pray? How do we want what God wants? You know, sometimes the purpose of prayer is for us to get out of circumstances, isn't it? We pray away things. We need freedom and deliverance and healing from things. But often, the purpose of prayer is to get through things. Isn't that the truth? Like, yes, we need to pray prayers of getting away, being delivered and healed and set free. But so often, our prayers are praying through. You see... There's a difference between praying away and praying through. I think we need both. But so often I find in my life that as God is setting me free, as God is delivering me, as he's working out a healing in my life, I'm learning to pray through things with him. He's shaping my mind and my character. I bet you you've got things you're praying through right now. We have some very dear friends we're praying through with them. They had a premature delivery of their little baby, and we are praying through for healing, for wholeness, for strength for each day as they wait diligently beside their little one. We are praying through. Matthew 7 says, Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Persistence prayer, persistence not giving up, not being casual about our prayers, but to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep, keep on knocking. You see, persistence purifies our prayers. Um, if, you know, it, if I won't pray about it more than once, if it's kind of a whim and it's not a real request, then it, I'm probably not really serious about wanting God's kingdom. Prayer requires intentionality. We grow and learn as we pray. It's about who you are seeking 
not necessarily what you're seeking. Because sometimes you're seeking after things that are not the things that God would actually want for you. Look at 1 Corinthians, or 1 Chronicles, rather, chapter 28. David's talking to his son Solomon. He says, And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. Notice, heart and mind. For the Lord searches every heart and he understands every desire and every thought. And if you seek him, Solomon, he will be found by you. Prayer is so often our seeking of him not seeking what we want. That's the shift that happens when we become wholehearted. And we move from independence to dependence, don't we? We move from wanting to have things our own way. So not God helps those who help themselves, but God helps those who call on him. So would you pray differently? If you didn't just hope he wanted to hear from you, but that he loves to hear from you and he will answer you. You know, as we learn to pray, God knows, and at the end of this chapter, Jesus knows there's another lurking question. There's another lurking question of the disciples saying, Lord, teach us to pray. He knows that at the heart of our struggle with prayer is this question. Is God good? Like, can I trust him? Is he actually going to give me good things? Look at what Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, verse 11 now. Now, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying, I'm not the grumpy friend. I'm not the neighbor who's bugged and bothered. I'm not the crooked or the bad judge who's just going to give you what you want just because I'm sick of you bothering me. I'm not a bad dad. Now, there, in this Bible times, kids are asking, you know, for fish and eggs. I'm not sure if your kids are asking for fish and eggs, are they? But maybe they're asking for, like, cotton candy and a hot dog. Well, here's the point of the story. He's saying, if your kids come and ask you for cotton candy and a hot dog, you're not going to give them a skunk. You know what I'm saying? Something poisonous and disgusting and not safe for their health. That is the point he is making. Does God want to give you good things? He knows that that is at the core of our struggle. Here's what you have to answer. Is God a giver or is he a taker? It is so at the core of whether we will talk to him, whether we will come to him, whether we'll ask him for anything, whether we will trust him with our lives. Is he a giver or a taker? You know, the children of Israel were fully taken care of by God. He met their every need. He was desperately trying to lead them into the, whole, the land that he wanted to give them. And look what it says in Deuteronomy 32. But Israel soon became fat and unruly. In other words, they were spoiled rotten, And they became like belligerent children. Then they abandoned the God who made them. They made light of the rock of their salvation. And Isaiah that says, yet they rebelled and they grieved the Holy Spirit. 
You know, rebellion and going our own way is the same thing as saying, God's a taker. I really can't trust him. I'm just going to have to do this all by myself. I'll just take care of it. This is exactly where the enemy wants you. I think this is one of the critical factors in why we cannot approach God because we don't ultimately trust him. And the enemy does not want you to trust God is good. He will fill your mind with so many thoughts that God is against you, that God is not going to meet your need, that you would be better off without God, that you cannot trust him. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And that is the kind of thing you need to pray away. Right? And we need, as we were reminded this morning, to have a right view of God. Who is your God? Is God the grumpy guy, the grumpy neighbor? Is he the bad judge? Is he the bad dad? Or is he a happy God? Is he a dad that the doors are wide open, that you can just run and jump right in? It says if, if, if you think that God is a giver, then you will trust God, actually. You will wait for God if you think he's a giver. It says in um, Habakkuk 2.1, and this verse has helped me more times than I can tell you, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me. Do you see the posture of this writer? What does it mean to station yourself? Well, Rick Warren said it this way. It means to stay put. It means I'm not moving. It means I'm going to be still. It means I'm going to stay here and expect to hear from you, God. I will partner with you, God. Here I am, God. I'm in a tough marriage. I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to, I'm going to keep coming to you. I'm going to keep talking to you about this. I'm going to expect you to show up. Here I am, God. I have kids that are running from you. And you've heard my story, and you know How many times God told me, you just stand still, Lord. You just stay put. You keep coming to me. You keep bringing those kids to me, and you expect me to do something great. I had to, like, for years, seven years, just constantly plead and beg with God to go get my kids. And he is good. He was able to do something I would never be able to do in going after our kids. Are you in an illness? Are you experiencing death of a loved one or a friend? Will you stay and expect, stay with God, stay put, journey with him through this painful experience because in the journey, he does so many good things in us and through us. And he does and will answer your prayer. We have to actively look and expect God. That keeps us going in prayer. When you're sitting in a place of expectation, it keeps you going. If you have no expectancy from your father to be good, then you'll probably just say, well, God, whatever. Do whatever you want to do. You know what I'm saying? Do you expect your God to be good? Well, you know what? Good dads do two things. They know it's good for you, and they know when it's a good time to give it to you. And that is called trust. Is God a giver? Do you hear the family style that Jesus is saying when the disciples said, teach us to pray? He said, approach your father. He's generous and he's good. He wants you to come to him and ask for your daily bread. He wants you to barge in the door at midnight and be desperate for the bread that you need to serve somebody else with or the need that you have in the moment. He is never inconvenienced. He wants you to run and jump into his lap anytime. It doesn't matter even how rebellious you've been, where how far you've gone from God. He says, you run and jump into my lap. I am ready to listen. I am ready to hear. Do you believe he's a good dad? 
So how do we persevere in prayer? Can we just muster this up ourselves? Like, with all the willpower I have, I'm going to stick to it this week. I'm going to stick to my exercise program, my eating program. I mean, you know how hard that is. Like, willpower runs out, you know, within the next hour. We actually get power, not willpower. We get Holy Spirit power to do this thing. That's the great news. You don't have to pray in your own strength. Praise God. You get to pray through the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's what it says in Romans 8. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Anyone? But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. You see, he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit, that gift that is at work within us, the power of Christ. He will fill our hearts and our minds with the thoughts of God. And as we are in the word of God and we pray the word of God, which is, by the way, the will of God, then he brings those words to life. Prayer is a partnership with God. Ask, seek, and knock. So I ask you one last time, would you pray differently if you didn't just hope he wanted to hear from you, but that he loves, he loves to hear from you, and he will answer you. Today, my deepest desire as Jesus' desire in answering his disciples is to say, keep going, be persistent, don't give up. Prayer is a journey with God through the ups and the downs, through the difficulties. It is a journey and a partnership, and you need to approach God with confidence because you have a good dad. He wants to hear from you. He loves to partner with you, and he will answer your prayer. Colossians 4 says it so well. Continue steadfastly in prayer steadfastly, persistence, not quitting, right? Being watchful, expectant, seeking, knocking. We're going to be watchful. We're standing on the ramparts going, God, what are you going to do? And all of this, do it with great thanksgiving. Do it with great thanksgiving. No matter the difficult, know you can trust him. Know you can trust him. Will you stand with me as we pray and prepare to respond in song? Well, Lord Jesus, I just want to speak hope over this. The people that are listening, I speak hope. I speak confidence, Lord, that you are a God who loves them. You want us to come running right into your throne room, jump on your lap. You want us to ask you for anything. And God, I thank you and praise you. You are a great God. You are a good God. You are a faithful God. You're able to do exceedingly abundant beyond anything we could even begin to ask for or imagine that you are the one who can do it and we can put faith and trust in you because of who you are. Give us great hope and confidence. In the Lord Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.